You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Respiratory illness season and high COVID transmission could overwhelm BC's healthcare system, and the province is taking measures to prevent that from happening. Hospital beds are near capacity. Many emergency departments are overcrowded. So, as Kylie Stanton shows us, the province is now reactivating emergency operation centers at several hospitals. It's been three years since COVID-19 first began to surface and healthcare workers haven't been able to catch a break ever since. Once again, hospitals across the province are seeing a huge increase in demand, forcing officials to take a bold step. So to ensure we have continued access to hospital care, we are proactively reactivating emergency operations centres known as EOCs in health authorities beginning Monday, January 9th. While BC tends to see an increase in hospitalizations following the holidays, this year, between the spike in respiratory illnesses and surgeries ramping back up, things have been pushed to the breaking point. As of Thursday, there were 10,226 people in acute care, and with 11,680 base and surge beds, capacity is at 88%. But remove the 2,478 surge beds from the total complement and the capacity is pushed to 111 percent which is significant and high this is where they they have my brother that means patients can expect to find themselves in sunrooms like this one or other flex and overflow areas of the hospital there's no bathroom and while the setup is less than ideal the goal is to provide non-urgent surgeries and avoid cancellations if at all possible Still, nurses warn it's important to be realistic. There will be times where they will have to cancel them just because there isn't a bed for that patient to go to post-op. There aren't the staff to care for the patient. It's going to have to be looked at very closely. The EOCs will remain in place for at least six weeks, with resources available at 20 BC hospitals that care for the most patients. But health officials say combating this surge in demand is also largely on the public to do their part. What people can do is to get vaccinated. This is a matter of people uh, staying, uh, staying well. Kelly Stanton, Global News. All right, for more, let's bring in Keith Baldry in Victoria. Keith, another thing the province is doing uh, is supporting those who are able to leave the hospital. Yeah, that's the other side of the equation here. You don't want people occupying a hospital bed if uh, they don't need to. Uh, and you can generally recover at home much quicker than in a hospital. Adrian Dix today again saying the resources to enhance home care operations are going to be enhanced as well for those six weeks to get, open up as many beds as possible and treat as many people on a continuing basis at home. Here's the minister. A daily assessment at each hospital about who's in the hospital, who needs to be in the hospital, providing support for people, necessary support for people who leave the hospital. This is in addition to the work we've already done, the opening of um, almost a couple of hundred long-term care beds that has reduced the number of people who are in hospital for what's called alternative level of care uh, by 15 percent over the last couple of months. 
The other pressure point on our healthcare system right now, Sophie, especially at these 20 hospitals, is the ongoing issue of staff illness and staff shortages. Uh, any given week, about 14 to 15,000 healthcare frontline healthcare workers call in sick for at least one shift. That compares to about 9,000 workers pre-pandemic levels. So, an already crowded system is going to get even more tougher challenges as the ongoing staff shortage issue is expected to continue through this six-week period. All right. Thanks for that, Keith Baldry in Victoria. Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke is warning Surrey residents of a major property tax hike this year if the provincial government decides to continue with the transition to the Surrey Police Service. But as Richard Zussman reports, her opponents believe the mayor's numbers don't quite add up. Warnings of a big tax bill for Surrey residents. That is exactly what keeps me awake at night. These are extraordinary costs. We cannot do this to the taxpayer. On Friday, Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke saying city staff recently presented her more details on moving to the Surrey Police Service. A $235 million cost to continue with the transition, meaning a 55% property tax increase just to change police forces from the RCMP. A one-time increase of $1,200 on the average Surrey property tax bill and $7,700 for businesses. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth currently reviewing these numbers and more importantly, what a transition would mean for safety in Surrey. A 55% tax increase for residents of our city is unacceptable, it is irresponsible, and I will do everything in my power to make sure it does not happen. Minister Farnworth is expected to make that decision by mid to late January. And again and again, the province has said that no matter what this costs the people of Surrey, the provincial government won't be there with extra money. The transition itself has been underway for, you know, the better part of uh, two years now. Uh, and so to unwind it is obviously a very complex undertaking. Locke's opponents question her numbers. In a statement, Surrey Police Service Chief Norm Lipinski says, quote, I believe this assertion is not only inaccurate, but intended to confuse residents. Councillor Linda Annis says the numbers are based on a report with 40 assumptions and can't be considered accurate. We need to get the real numbers and we need to not be fear-mongering. We need to be giving the residents of Surrey the real facts. The city of Surrey isn't legally allowed to run deficits, so matter what the change costs are, it will be the taxpayers ultimately paying the price. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. Well, the trial of the man accused of killing 13-year-old Marissa Shen in Burnaby has been adjourned again, more than five years after the girl's body was found. Rumina Dea reports. It's been more than five years since the killing. But every day when Mark Alexis walks past the memorial, he takes a moment to remember 13-year-old Marissa Shen. One of my girls went to school with the person that was killed. They were in the same, same uh, class together. The first-degree murder trial for Ibrahim Ali was supposed to finally begin January 16th. Alexis, disappointed the trial has been postponed for the fifth time, according to reports. It's very disturbing that that's still on the books. The BC Prosecution Service won't answer specific questions about why the trial has been delayed so many times. Spokesperson Dan McLaughlin will only say publication bans are in effect regarding a number of pretrial matters. In general, bans are frequently imposed to protect the fairness of trial. 
Hours before her death, Shen was last seen in a Burnaby coffee shop near Metrotown in July 2017. The teen's body discovered in Burnaby Central Park across the street from her home. A review of the evidence to date indicates Ms. Shen's murder was a random attack. Homicide investigators identified more than 2,000 persons of interest. Then, after a controversial DNA technique used to narrow down a suspect of Middle Eastern descent, Ali, a Burnaby resident and newcomer to Canada, was charged in September 2018. Ali's been in custody ever since, raising questions about whether the case could be in jeopardy because of potential unreasonable delays. It's obviously very concerning when you hear about a serious case that's been adjourned for a long period of time, but we have to have confidence that a judge hearing an adjournment application is going to make the right decision. Alexis eagerly awaiting a new trial date, which has not been set. A jury yet to be selected. You'd like to see a conclusion? I would, yeah, uh, for her family especially. Because if, if some people mess with my girls, I'd like to find out. So, so at least you can come to terms with yourself. Romina Dea, Global News. A man who's been in the news recently for several violent and random assaults, two of them caught on video, has pleaded guilty and will be sentenced next month. Kristen Robinson tells us what might be ahead for a man who's caused a lot of chaos on city streets. This mother and toddler knocked down outside Ryan Diaz's gym in Chinatown. The fourth and fifth victims of four separate attacks unleashed by the same suspect in three weeks. I'm sad that even he got away, that he got to harm five different people before getting help. And obviously number one is to keep the public safe and especially the innocent. 27-year-old Shaquan David Kelly was arrested after this assault and released from custody the next day. Nine days later, he attacked someone else. In late December, Kelly pleaded guilty to five separate assaults over a one-month period last year. An attack on a security guard at VGH on June 19th, a random assault on a Vancouver bus the next day, another attack on transit on July 6th, the Chinatown assault on July 9th, and an attack at the Kettle Friendship Society on July 19th. Kelly was rearrested July 21st and subject to an assessment order. The system, when it works, can work very well. Bill McEwen is a psychiatrist at downtown Vancouver's community court where Kelly first appeared. He is not connected to the case. Assessment orders, McEwen says, indicate the judge or lawyers involved are interested in helping someone who may have mental health problems and will sometimes lead to treatment. Well, the best case scenario is that it will happen because the person is willing and able to, uh, and they are in a situation where they can be seen by a psychiatrist or psychiatric nurse to get start that off. The worst case scenario is that they're not able to or they're not willing, and you end up in jail uh, with a mental illness. Kelly's lawyer did not respond to an interview request, but has said her client has mental health difficulties. Like it wasn't really about us versus them. It's like. More important, I want, I hope a person, people like him get the help that they need because they need help. Kelly remains in custody and a date for sentencing will be set next month. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The B.C. government is taking a closer look at the way we house some of our most vulnerable citizens with a review that's been in the works since the summer. The effort gained new urgency this week when Global News shared a revealing look inside one of Vancouver's single-room occupancy buildings. Paul Johnson reports. A few days ago, 
Global News revealed the conditions in a downtown Eastside SRO complex. Since then, managers of the Lookout Housing Society, which runs the building, have acknowledged the situation was unacceptable. Friday, BC's housing minister himself weighed in. We've asked BC Housing to do an independent analysis on the P3 model uh, because of all the concerns that we've heard uh, from uh, residents and people in the community. P3 means public-private partnership. That's government speak for the funding and management model of some of Vancouver's SROs. While one manager in the public housing sector told Global News that an independent study would be a good thing, some critics say what BC needs is competent management not another study. When I saw the video that came out of one of those SROs, frankly, I was disgusted. Eleanor Sturko is the B.C. Liberal Shadow Minister for Addictions, Mental Health and Recovery. This is probably the fourth or fifth study and review and audit that I have heard of or has been announced, particularly with regard to B.C. housing. You know, they have had information on the private-public partnerships, some of which was actually published while they've been in government. The new study was actually called for by former housing minister and now Premier David Eby back in August, and it's expected to get going next month. Though it's unclear whether the SRO we profiled here is even part of the P3 program. But the housing minister was clear on one thing, the P3 model deserves a rethink. My instincts tell me that a model where uh, profits are being made off of trying to house the most vulnerable people is not the best way to go. Paul Johnson, Global News. A Kelowna MLA is under fire for recent social media activity that appears to support an anti-transgender platform. Kelowna Mission MLA Renee Merrifield quote tweeted a tweet from a controversial commentator Jordan Peterson who's known for speaking out against certain transgender rights. She also liked another tweet dealing with gender identity, and legal activists say her actions can have damaging effects. With the position of Shadow Minister of Gender Diversity Inclusion, it really surprised me that someone who had that kind of portfolio responsibility would be supporting that platform. To actually uh, support a, someone like that is just causing more of that kind of damage, uh, delegitimizing trans people and uh, dehumanizing them. Merrifield released a statement defending her record saying, quote, I have time and again stood up for trans rights, including at the B.C. legislature, and worked as an MLA to create a more inclusive B.C. I strongly support the rights of people of all gender identities, Trans rights are human rights, and it's up to all of us to create a more inclusive world for trans people. More turmoil in the airline industry. Carriers forced to play catch-up after the shutdown at Mazatlan Airport, with nervous Canadian passengers considering a change of plans. That's next on the News Hour. A pigeon packing contraband at a BC corrections facility. That story later on the news hour. Also tonight, bumbling arsonists nearly blow themselves up. Proof karma can come back to bite you. That's still to come. Right now, though, unrest and heightened security operations continue in the Mexican state of Sinaloa, 
One day after the arrest of a drug cartel leader brought widespread violence. All flights heading to Mazatlan from YVR have been canceled today in light of a federal travel advisory. While Canadians on vacation there say things are starting to get back to normal. Aaron MacArthur has the latest. It is very quiet here. The streets of Mazatlan normally bustling with people empty Thursday night. Locals and tourists heeding advice to stay indoors. When something like this happens, you never know what the cartel's going to do, how they're going to react. Thursday's shootout at the Culiacan Airport forced the closure of three airports in the west coast state of Sinaloa, including Mazatlan. While flight operations resumed out of the tourist hub Friday, the government of Canada updated its warning for Sinaloa. Both WestJet and Sunwing cancelling all flights. Sunwing actively updating customers on Twitter and offering refunds or changes to destination and dates at no cost. Yeah, we don't want to go there. We just wanted to rebook our flight somewhere else. We don't feel safe going there, but we have had zero information from the airline. The situation in Mazatlan remains fluid, but largely free of any violence that has erupted elsewhere in Sinaloa. My uh, stress level or uh, fear level is pretty much uh, flatlining at zero. Um, uh, to me, uh, you know, it hasn't affected our life at all. According to the Mexican government, more than two dozen people were killed during the capture of one of the leaders of the Sinaloa drug cartel, Ovidio Guzman. Author Douglas Century, who wrote a book about the capture of El Chapo, is confident now that Ovidio is no longer in his stronghold. The cartel will focus its attention elsewhere. This is a, a very, very strange overreaction uh, by some young gunmen to their leader being captured. As order is restored, tourists in the resorts are being told to check with their airlines for potential departures. If you are scheduled to leave within the next 24 to 48 hours, regardless of where you are across Canada, you need to make sure that your information is current with both the airline and or the tour operator. Flights expected to resume back and forth to Canada this weekend. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, broken trust, broken hearts. It affects my life forever. The victim of a romance scammer and the shocking revelations about him she only recently learned. And three years after the Iranian Revolutionary Guard shot down a plane carrying dozens of Canadians, victims' families are still demanding justice. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Patello Bridge with most of the delay on the Columbia on-ramp south. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. As police continue to investigate a Coquitlam woman's murder last month and the suspected involvement of her estranged lover, more details are emerging about his history of conning women. Gianluigi De Rossi died by suicide, but newly obtained court documents reveal disturbing details about his past. Catherine Urquhart has the story and reaction from one of his victims. She was financially devastated and threatened by Reza Moenian, a man who later changed his name to Gianluigi De Rossi. For her safety, she's calling herself Sarah. I'm still dealing with uh, um, bankruptcies, um, 
paperwork and stuff. Like, it, it affected my life forever. In 2018, Moenian was charged and convicted for those crimes. He was sentenced to three and a half years behind bars for numerous counts of fraud and perjury. Newly obtained court documents reveal how the judge admonished the romance fraudster, telling him, your offenses are significantly worse because they are predatory and they are venal. You spent years, not a day or two, years preying on innocent women and their vulnerabilities. Judge Gordon told him, you did not show a single gram of decency. You did not show an ounce of compassion toward anyone but yourself. After noting the con man's brutal experiences in an Iranian jail, the judge said, that, though, does not justify the crimes that you have committed. That bankruptcy took four years for me to finish. And he, his jail, it didn't even take four years. This is awful when you look at it. Before Sarah, there was Alison Flanagan. Moenian conned her out of more than $200,000. She lost her townhouse and had to declare bankruptcy. She says police recommended fraud charges, but they weren't approved by Crown. Had those charges been approved by Crown and gone through, I suspect he would still be in jail to this day and we could have prevented what happened to Stephanie. Then, in December, award-winning entrepreneur Stephanie Forster, who married the same man, was shot to death while sitting in her car in Coquitlam. That news incredibly disturbing for Sarah. First of all, I'm very sad, very upset. Uh, it is very um, unfortunate to hear that, honestly. I was speechless when I heard that. Two days after Stephanie's murder, police in Surrey pulled over de Rossi's car. Moments later, he fatally shot himself. Police have confirmed the files are linked and say they continue to investigate. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Police are warning kids and parents about a disturbing spike in cases of online sextortion. The warning comes as the national tip line for reporting these kinds of crimes saw a 150% increase in cases over just six months. Sarah McDonald reports. It's a growing threat to youth and young adults anywhere with internet, sextortion or sexual extortion. The aim of the perpetrators to obtain money or sexual content by targeting children. Once information is out on the internet, it's very, very difficult to get all of that information back. Coquitlam RCMP, the latest law enforcement agency to issue a stark warning to parents on Friday. Their kids are targets. It's really a trend that we've been seeing throughout the lower mainland as well as Canada. Which targets boys and girls and typically begins with a suspect engaging in flirtation online conversation with their intended victim. From there, things escalate. The suspect works to obtain sexual content, like nude photos and videos, which are then used as collateral. And it's at this point that uh, the relationship changes and the person on the other end starts uh, extorting the youth for money. And as in the province's most notable sextortion case, the predator often isn't even in the country. Amanda Todd's tormentor, Dutch national Aiden Coben, convicted of sexual extortion, child luring, child pornography and criminal harassment last August. Todd took her own life in 2012. Everywhere in the world, someone has a son, a daughter, and so we all have to learn from this. Todd's legacy lives on through her mother, Carol, a tireless advocate for cyber safety, working to educate and inform parents and youth on crucial basic safety tips. The RCMP is now sharing two 
It's really for any type of those applications that have a chat feature attached to it. And perhaps most importantly, open up the lines of communication with your kids. Investigators warning sextortionists largely lean on shame experienced by their victims, which then lends to secrecy and a lack of seeking out help. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Just ahead, the upcoming anniversary of a flight catastrophe. After nearly three years, the continued call for Iran to face justice for shooting down a plane loaded with Canadians. And karma can be a real bad thing. Watch what happens when these guys try to burn down an immigration office. That's later. Traffic is steady in both directions over at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight, but lots of leftover volume eastbound on the connector between Knight and the S-curve. Looking for attractive monthly income from the NASDAQ 100? Scan to learn about QQCC, a covered call ETF from Horizons ETFs. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Well, this Sunday marks three years since Ukraine Airlines flight PS752 was shot down over Iran, killing all 176 people on board, many who had connections to BC's Iranian-Canadian community. And as the fight for justice and compensation continues, families are getting a much-needed boost from the worldwide protests calling for change in Iran. Negar Mojdahedi reports. The only thing that was found uh, of his belongings was his pouch that he had around his waist uh, and a photo album. BC resident Shahrukh Ferdowsi often thinks about what could have been the final moments of his cousin's life. He was killed when the IRGC shot down Ukraine Airlines Flight 752 with not one but two missiles 30 seconds apart. Um, my guess is the very last moment of his life, he just opened up the, uh, the album. He was looking at the uh, photos, knowing that he's going to die. <laughs> 55 Canadians, 30 permanent residents and others with ties to Canada, all falling victim to a regime they left behind. A strikingly high-achieving group, dozens of doctors, academics, all gone. 176 people plus one. One of the other passengers were actually five months pregnant. This is the, uh, the flight seat plan for the Ukrainian flight. These are human beings that know we lost, every single one of them. Since then, there's been no justice and no accountability for the victims' families. Why were missiles shot at a civilian aircraft? That, that why is killing us. Canada, Ukraine, Sweden and the UK have jointly sent a diplomatic note to Iran saying the country needs to take part in arbitration. If their dispute isn't resolved in six months, Iran could be taken to The Hague. <laughs> the regime that killed his cousin is also now responsible for the death of hundreds of Iranian demonstrators. I really feel like we are part of a river. Uh, we are just swimming in this, this river that is just Every day is just add to it, you know. The victims that keep coming in, it's just getting bigger and bigger. Now my fear is that this river is going to turn into an ocean very soon. There's so many victims. Further fueling the families of Flight 752's fight for justice. And I really miss him. I miss his voice. I miss his presence. And I... I, I uh, I wish he was here. Nagar Moshahedi, Global News. 
In Health Matters tonight, U.S. scientists are using cancer to fight cancer, and they hope to develop a vaccine to target the disease. Researchers at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Massachusetts are using living brain tumor cells to stimulate a patient's own immune system to both destroy tumors and prevent cancer. They say the cells will travel long distances along the, across the brain to return to the site of their fellow tumor cells. To take advantage of that behavior, they end engineered living tumor cells to release a tumor cell killing agent. They found the approach was both safe and effective in mice, and now they hope to develop a cancer killing vaccine for use in humans. And coming up, a pigeon with a backpack. I have never seen a, a live bird fly a package into any institution. What the bird was carrying when it approached a BC prison. But first, it was an affair fight where an opportunistic eagle found lunch next. A Prince Rupert homeowner was surprised and saddened to find the remains of one of her pet fish beside her outdoor pond. So she checked her home security camera. Didn't take long to identify the culprit. Barbara Green's camera recorded a bald eagle swooping down into her pond where her two fish live. A koi and a shabunkin, which is apparently a type of goldfish. The eagle splashes around trying to get an easy lunch. pretty clear it's not the most experienced fisher with a few failed attempts to catch the koi and eventually drag it out of the pond. It does succeed eventually. Green says she was surprised to see the video as she's never had a problem with eagles before. She's particularly sad because big koi, as she named him, would wait for her at the side of the pond for its daily snack of Cheerios. She says she might get some new company for Shabunkin when the weather improves. It's sad. Sorry. I didn't mean to, but shabunkin is such a funny word. It is a funny word to say. It's one of those fun words to say. <laughs> bit of a tragic Shabun story, but shabunkin yeah. is included. <laughs> True. All right, let's bring in Christy Gordon with a look at our forecast. And uh, keep your umbrella handy, I think, is the moral of the story here. That's exactly right, Shabunkin. A lot more fun to say than Parade of Storms, which I'm going to explain to you why we're going to see that first, though. We do once again tonight have a low-pressure center sitting offshore, creating these very strong outflow winds from that high pressure, and it's this wraparound southeasterly that is kicking up winds. We've seen uh, winds up to 128 kilometers an hour off the northwest coast of Vancouver Island. That's like a Category 1 hurricane strength wind. Now, we're not expecting those to shift further inland. However, we are are still expecting the potential for some gusts in that 40 to 60 kilometer an hour range for the interior regions. Uh, so keep that in mind as we head through the overnight period. It will start to ease off through tomorrow morning. We do have a special weather statement in place, but the strongest winds really are expected across these northern parts of Vancouver Island and certainly along the coast. Now here's a look. The jet stream over the last couple of days has been positioned like this. Big dip off the coast and look at it, directed right at the south coast. And that opens the floodgates for that parade of storms. Nice protection in through the prairies. But over the next seven days, which is what this uh, picture is showing you, 
there's not going to be much of a change in the shape of the jet stream. So yes, it's not going to be a soaker, but we are going to see rain on and off for the next several days. There's a look at the sunshine, though, through the northern regions. Some breaks of blue sky through the southern interior. For the south coast, though, cloud and scattered showers through the morning, and it will develop to be more consistent rain in the afternoon, but not heavy. Nine degrees is your daytime high, and yes, we are expecting showers on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and on Wednesday. Although there's a chance on Tuesday we could see some breaks in the mix as well. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Ladysmith. Thanks to Josh Nichols for that. This is a shot of the sunrise from Wednesday, and I thought it was quite stunning. All right, guys, back to you. So serene. Thanks, Christy. All right, keeping contraband out of the hands of inmates has become a big part of the job for prison guards, and they were shocked by a new attempt recently. Guards in the Fraser Valley ended up capturing a pigeon carrying a cargo of crystal meth. Imadagahi reports. Brought here on federal sentences on any given day, there could be up to 500 prisoners serving time at the Pacific Institution Correctional Facility in Abbotsford. And it appears someone here may have been the mastermind behind a highly unusual attempted drug smuggling. It was a little bit of confusion and shock, to be quite honest with you. In my career, I've been around for almost 13 years, and I have never seen a, a live bird fly a package into any institution or heard of that. It happened December 29th, says John Randall. In the courtyard, an outdoor area within the confines of the prison walls, officers spotted a pigeon and a package it was carrying before jumping into action. Managed to capture it, which I can imagine was an uh, interesting feat. The way it was described to me, it was a small um, fabric, uh, almost like a backpack, essentially, tied to the bird. Um, and inside that uh, pack was, was the, the drugs. The bird was let go. Inside its package, set to be 30 grams of crystal meth. Almost a... Uh... The situation is almost identical to a cannabis seizure from a feathered smuggler in Peru back in May, who was caught carrying a package to the Huancayo Penitentiary. <laughs> Meanwhile, closer to home in November, the mission institution was locked down after it was believed a drone had dropped a firearm onto prison ground. We've all heard the historic tales of carrier pigeons used most prominently in the First World War to carry key messages. But most recently, the bird has been more commonly just referred to as an urban pest. It's almost like the inmates and the criminals are going back in time and using some older technology, I guess is the best way to describe it, to, to get their contraband in because we've done such a good job or we're so diligent on the drone side of things now. Experts say this could only be possible if a prisoner had trained the bird prior to the incident. While the Correctional Service of Canada won't discuss specifics, only that it is investigating. Imadagahi, Global News. A shocking crime caught on camera in California. And a warning before we show you the video, it might be disturbing to some viewers. The footage shows two people wearing dark clothing pouring what appears to be gasoline on the side of a building in Bakersfield. One of the people then appears to light a flame to set the structure on fire and in the process accidentally lights themselves on fire. The other person also catches fire before they both take off running. The fire was put out quickly by the local fire department and the two arson suspects have not yet been identified. That's why we talked about karma earlier. All right. Well, if you don't want to catch on fire, don't do that. Don't, don't set? Don't yeah. set fires. Yeah. That's All fine. right.
So last season, the Whitecaps brought in some players during the season, and Vanny Sartini thinks starting this year with those players, rather than getting him halfway through the year, should mean a better start for the Whitecaps. I'm very excited that uh, I can start the season with, uh, uh, with, with a full team, I would say. The Whitecaps start training camp next week, a training camp that'll take them on trips to Spain and California before the real games begin. Also tonight, the debut of Satellite Debris 2023. And what did we <coughs> not do before we go on the air? Well, fire? we said if you don't want to catch on fire, don't set fires. If you don't want to choke during a show, don't eat an almond before you go on the air. The worst thing. And if do. you do eat an almond, be sure to chew it. Um, <laughs> so Andre Kuzmenko wears Pavel Bure's other number, 96, and he was rather Pavel-like last night, getting the Canucks to come back from a 2-0 deficit to beat the Colorado Avalanche 4-2. Kuzmenko scored two goals. He now has 17 on the season. He's another Canuck, like Bo Horvat, who will be a free agent this summer. Now, he is acclimatized to the NHL very quickly. He's not afraid to go to the net to score his goals. And here's an example. First goal last night, Kuzmenko does exactly the opposite of what your parents warned you about, and that's playing in the traffic. He did it again on his second goal. Now, Bruce Boudreau predicted in training camp that Kuzmenko would adapt to the NHL because he has the right attitude. After the game last night, Andre Kuzmenko was actually happier about this between-the-legs pass to Elias Pettersson that started the play that finished in his second goal of the night. <laughs> I, it's uh, really, for me, I like it no goal. I like it pass. Because as a, I score, so I say, PD, PD, you see my pass? He's <laughs> <laughs> got the happy-go-lucky attitude. Okay, the Whitecaps start training in Vancouver on Monday. Then they head to Spain for more training. They won the Canadian Championship last year, but they did not make the Major League Soccer playoffs. But just like last year at this time, they feel very good about the way they finished the season and they hope it can carry over to the new year. The Whitecaps are renewing acquaintances after a two-month break, eager to get 2023 started the way they left off 2022. If you'll remember, they nearly pulled off a miraculous finish to the regular season, winning three straight games to set up a win-and-you're-in-the-playoff scenario at Minnesota, but ended up losing that game. The Caps' 1-6-1 start to the season had them playing catch-up all of 2022, something they know they can't repeat this year. The main thing has been uh, being concentrated on preseason. So uh, we organized these two trips, one in Spain, one in Palm Springs, in order to have a meaningful opposition, to have very good games, and to arrive really ready at the beginning of the season. Gambate! Vanny's also excited to get a full year with some key players who joined the team mid-season in 2022, like Andres Kubas and Julian Gressel. A player who won't be back is Lucas Cavallini. He led the Caps in goals last season, but was more notable for poor decisions on the field that led to red cards and suspensions. His replacement is coming soon. 
it needs to be a person with the, with the right motivation to come here, that he wants to be here, that he wants to be part of a project, that he wants to be uh, to work for the group. And uh, I know that uh, Axel and his team are, are working hard on that. The Caps are also hoping Brian White regains his form from 2021 when he led the team with 12 goals. Last year was disastrous due to two major injuries that saw his production fall dramatically. I have confidence in myself to be able to pick up from where I left off that year and put this past year behind me and, and just continue to improve every day and do everything I can to help the team win. The Caps have seven weeks to get ready for their MLS opener on February 25th. Before then, they have two extended away camps, one in Palm Springs, and then starting off early next week, they'll be traveling to the resort city of Malaga, Spain. You know, it's good to have camps like that early on. and um, You know, any new guys that come into the come into the group it's good to be to be around each other um, for 10 days and really get to, to know each other. I'm going to practice my Spanish. I, I, I usually do with uh, with my players, but I can do it also outside the team. And uh, maybe uh, a glass of uh, Rioja, uh, like red wine, so why not? Why not? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Just four days after suffering a cardiac arrest during Buffalo and Cincinnati's game on Monday night, Bills defensive back DeMar Hamlin FaceTimed with his teammate today. The breathing tube is gone. He is talking. Doctors say his progress is remarkable. And also a men's number one, Carlos Alcarez had the pullout of the Australian Open, which starts January 16th because of a leg injury. There you go. Hmm. Okay. Now everybody else gets a chance. Thanks, Squire. Stand by. Satellite debris is up next. All right, let's uh, let's do this. 2023 arrived. Okay. Mm -hmm. We got a new new version of satellite debris ready to go. That's true. Okay. I'm excited. All right. I'm That's glad you lottery. are. Okay. We're going to start with a a lottery commercial from France. <laughs> Taponade de la mer. Attends, je te donne un coup. Bon appétit, mes chéris. Merci. J'adore. C'est marrant, il y a un petit goût de caviar, non Attends, mais c'est du caviar. Disons que maman, t'as gagné au loto ou quoi <rire> Et, et dis-moi, Timothée, comment ça va avec ta copine Bah, elle m'a quitté jeudi. Parce que là, attends, 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 attends. Maman, t'as pas gagné quand même. Mais il y a de la truffe aussi Non. Et du persil. Hé hey. Tu me le disais, moi Madame, souhaitez-vous qu'on envoie les autres mais C'est qui, lui Aucune idée. L'auto, ça n'arrive pas qu'aux autres. C'est pretty good. Can't win if you don't have a ticket. That's right. Okay, so um, people from GoPro who provide us with a lot of spectacular video. Here's one, skydiving and skiing together from uh, Frederick Fusion.
What if he jumps Doesn't too look high? Like you have on the to blades. worry about the wax on your skis there. Yeah. No. Would that would, which, would that be double black diamond or a little bit higher? I'd sure. say a little higher. Okay. Uh, last but not least, last but not least, we have Martha Stewart, and she is doing a vodka commercial of all things. All right. Hey, I get it. It's dry January, so you're not drinking much. But if you've got Cheetos lying around, don't just stare at it. Use it. Say goodbye to musty smells. Add it to your pasta sauce for a little extra kick. And maybe a little bit more. Spice up your Friday night by cutting through dirt and grime. And nothing tenderizes your favorite meat like Cheetos. Messy surfaces are no match for Cheetos. And keep your flowers in bloom with a splash of that vodka you can't drink. Smells like February. <laughs> I certainly can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing with my Cheetos. Is, is, is Martha Stewart okay? <laughs> I was just asking. Isn't she besties with Snoop Dogg or something? Yeah, she does. Yep. Apparently she pals around with Snoop Dogg. That's right. <laughs> I'm Imagine sure among other people. Vodka's not the only thing she's ingesting. Yeah, no kidding. I'm hanging right, around with him. Last word on weather before we go, Christy? Sure. So uh, we are going to see a few showers tomorrow, particularly earlier in the day, and it becomes a little bit more consistent rain, but not heavy later in the day. And yes, as you can see from this five day, not much of a break in store for us. Very cool. All right, Squire, my mom just texted and said she loved the skydiving video. So that was a winner. Thank Hi, you, Mom. Hi, <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great weekend. Bye, all.